0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Terran Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's is a shaving company that sends you razors in the mail and they're awesome. They, they, uh, they've changed my face. I've, I've told you this before, uh, but I don't think Brent knows about this. Uh, Brent is my guest this week and I'm very excited about it. Uh, but
1: Brent, have you noticed a change in my face? Your face looks better than ever, Taryn Armstrong. I just can't get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> much much better
0: uh, you know, uh, kept face here. Uh it's 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 really an improvement. And it's very fun. It's very fun to, to lather up your face with their uh their nice shave gel and then smooth cutting down the face with the close blades it's great um they uh they're two guys they uh they bought a german factory with over 100 years of blade making experience to ensure the highest quality and they truly deliver it so if you want to get some harry's make sure you go to harry's.com slash taren that's com slash taren and get harry's stuff it's very good social life. It's the Terran Show. The Terran Show. Don't ask if he's single, you already know, cause it's the Terran Show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Terran Show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Terran Show. It's time for Brent part three. It's, uh, it's, it, I feel like... Part of, part of this whole, you know, Terran show-ness, uh, you know, these first 25 episodes now, uh, one, one particular season or part of it has been the, uh, the saga of Brent Walgamot, and uh, I'm very excited to have him on here again. I've been waiting to ask these questions uh, about his life for a long time, and I'm finally going to be able to do it, so very, very excited. Brent, how are you doing?
1: I'm I'm great Taryn Armstrong. Actually, I'm looking at Twitter right now. Did you know that John Meyer, Meyer, Mayer, Meyer, Mayer, I forget how to say his John name. Mayer. Anyway, um he started a Kylo Ren challenge. I don't know if you know oh this my. or not. I'm not spoil I'm not spoiling anything from Star Wars, but there's a scene where Kylo Ren is shirtless with some high-waisted black pants <laughs> and he put out a picture of himself uh, with the high-waisted black pants and has encouraged his followers to do this as well. So there are some hot-looking men who are in the high-waisted black pants like Mr. <laughs> Kylo Ren. And also a few not-so-hot men who really should not have decided to take this challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the relevance, but I'm not yeah, sure know, it's right? going There's to no relevance. I'm just look- <laughs> I'm looking at hot men'ses.
0: <laughs> Can I just say, though... <laughs> I I really just feel like that's not a good look. The high-waisted pants. I I saw Star Wars and, uh, like, Adam Driver, he's an attractive uh, guy. He's got a great body. But, like, the high-waisted pants just don't do it justice, I feel like.
1: Well, I have to say that, and this is a spoiler from The Force Awakens, not from The Last Jedi, but there is some beef on Twitter that perhaps it's not high-waisted pants, that it's actually a black bandage from when Chewie shot him in the previous episode. (laughs) So that's a possibility as well. That would make more sense. Fashion-wise, I think yes, I know, right?
0: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I do know that you uh, you weren't a fan of the most recent Star Wars movie, uh, and you uh, you recently were on with uh, with Josh Wiggler to rant about it. But uh, I, I thought it was all right.
1: Yeah, it was the Dark Side podcast. We had a great time. Uh I really love doing a podcast with Wiggler for the first time, but I really wish it would have been under better circumstances because <laughs> I so wanted to love the new Star Wars. Uh I You know, I was there on the first night. I had a collector's edition poster. I mean, I was all in Taryn Armstrong, and then it just flopped but ah say That's That's what happens. happens
0: if you want to know more check out that podcast with josh um but let's uh let's get into uh to you brent you uh you tweeted out that you wanted some questions for uh for this episode of the taren show and so we got some and uh because i feel like there's a you know we went over a lot of stuff in those first two episodes and it's actually it's interesting because the last time i talked to you on the taren show was At the very beginning of the Terran show. And now here we are 25 episodes later um, for part three, because we actually recorded both parts at the same time uh, back then. And then we were like, there's going to be another one, but it's been five hours. So let's uh, let's take a break. And that break turned out to be like four months.
1: Yes, yes. That was the funny part is that we had no real plan for what we were doing. And as I recall, I don't even think you had taped. I don't even think you had aired any the Terrence show yet at the time that we taped it. Maybe Rob's had come out. I think I think I think I think I did discuss Rob's, but it only been out for a couple of days when we decided to tape our first episode of the Terrence show. And we were going to go right on. And we were just like, yeah, it's going to be two parts. But then we got through two parts and we still had a lot of shit to go. And we were like, ah, eh, well, you know, let's just come back another day. And of course, another day is like, what, this is December 31st. Taryn Armstrong as we're taking yeah. this, which, which by the way, I have to I have to note that if you've listened to part two, you know that I have been clean for 12 years. Well, today makes 13 years. Today is my sobriety date. So uh, very, I'm going to pat myself on the back for that because I never, ever thought that was possible for me to be clean uh, for any amount of time, much less 13 years. But uh, yeah, I got clean on New Year's Eve. And the reason I remember that is because they gave me my medicine on New Year's Eve and they were going to be closed for New Year's Day because remember, I got clean at the VA mm-hmm. and so of course it's a government facility so it's not open on on New Year's Day and uh, they gave me my medicine for 2 days and uh, off that's all. That's all I needed, Taryn.
0: <laughs> there you go. Very fitting that we record on uh, on this day, your anniversary. Um, so uh, yes, let's. Well, that's that was one of the questions actually about uh, some for some further detail about this whole addiction saga of yours. Um, and uh, I believe somebody was was wondering about just like how, like, what kind of lasting damage did that do to your body, if any?
1: Uh, the short answer is none. I got very, very lucky. Uh, I want to make a couple things clear. That you know, I did use uh, large quantities of Percocet, which, if you don't know, is the active ingredient in that is oxycodone, but the inactive ingredient, the the non narcotic ingredient, I should say, is acetaminophen, otherwise known as Tylenol. And you know, you think, oh, everybody has Tylenol in their in their fridge or you know in their medicine cabinet. And you're like, well, that's you know totally benign, but and it's true, it is totally benign. But when you take large quantities of Tylenol, it's not good for your liver. And I was taking Percocet, which contained a lot of Tylenol. And uh, the short answer is that I got lucky because I didn't take large quantities of Percocet, like 30 and 40 tablets a day at a time for very long because my body just wasn't... My body would not accept it. That's the thing. I started to get sick. And I think that's the thing that really saved my life because I probably would have continued on the path that I was on if my body... Had simply not said no more, you know, but that's the safety mechanism that, you know, God has built into each one of our bodies that when we're doing so much harm to it, that it simply rejects what we're trying to do and says, no, we're not going to take this anymore. And when that happened, I realized I needed to try to get clean. And of course I had a lot of stops and starts along the way, but I eventually did go to a doctor at the rehab center. And they did a lot of tests on my liver and other functions. And uh, my liver is fine. So I had a retest uh, when I went to the VA and got clean there. And they looked at my liver and they also said it was fine. And I had a test about three years ago. So I'm in the clear. Not wood, Terran Armstrong. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know,
0: something else that I, I thought was interesting was that um, after the uh, the first Two podcasts, but really the first one, you actually got um, you got contacted by uh, a couple different uh, outlets, I guess, uh, about your experience in the, the Peterson trial and um, and stuff like that. And you ended up doing, uh, you know, taking part in a, a documentary. Right. Um, and also yes. a podcast. Uh, t- tell us more about that.
1: Well, uh, Jupiter Entertainment, uh, which produces a lot of the American murder shows, uh, they uh, decided to contact me to see if I would be willing to talk on camera about my experiences in the Peterson trial. And I had never done an on-camera interview. I had done a few radio shows or podcasts like with you, but I had never done something where I was on camera speaking and... They were uh, based in New York, and I knew I was going to be in New York with you guys for Podcast House 4.0, or I think it's 4.5.0. Um, and, <laughs> those, uh, those halves I, don't count. I know, right? I know the halves don't count. Okay, so I went there, and uh, I ended up making an appointment with them, and uh, I got I got a little coin for it, Taryn, so that's good. <laughs> and uh, I uh, decided to do an on-camera interview, and that documentary uh, will be airing in the first part of 2018. It's going to be on the Discovery Channel. Uh, they said they would let me know the date. I have not heard anything yet, but my understanding is it's going to be in March of 2018. And uh, thus, I will let everybody know when that happens.
0: Yes, I'm sure uh, anybody that's listening to the Big Brother coverage will be able to hear that on the podcast. And uh, you'll also be able to, uh, if you're following Brent at One Lucky Gay, I'm sure he'll tweet it out as well. So uh, for anyone interested in checking that out. And then uh, recently, uh, uh, it was a podcast that contacted you, right?
1: Actually, they didn't contact me. Uh, they didn't contact me, but a few fans who listened to this podcast noted that for their 100th episode, the famous uh, podcast, My Favorite Murder, had actually covered the staircase trial, otherwise known as the Michael Peterson trial for their 100th episode. And they referred to me as the diddly guy. (laughs) And they said that they really like me. Uh, So uh, that's that's also very, very cool. Uh, I think I I did tweet them and tell them that uh, I enjoyed their coverage of it. I thought it was very fun. They have a very fun way of looking at murder and the the salaciousness of that trial in particular. Uh, So uh, I thought it was a fun get. And uh, you know, it's always fun when you see yourself out in the echo sphere of you know Twitter or podcasts or you know even if it's just because of the Peterson trial, I think it's enjoyable.
0: Yeah, it's definitely you know even like just uh, about Big Brother stuff. Even when I when I see my name in on like Reddit or or Twitter when I'm not tagged or anything, it's it's very yeah. like uh,
1: it's very like whoa. That's... When they're subtweeting you, like, oh, like that, Taron Armstrong. Did you see? I sent you that uh, that uh, uh, PM that someone had sent me mm. about you, and they said I can't stand that Taron Armstrong. <laughs> even when even when people do stuff like that, like I can't stand that Brent Walkemont. It still gives me joy because I create such a strong reaction within them that they actually have to get on Twitter and write about it. At least I didn't get a eh. You know what I mean? Like th- there's nothing <laughs> worse than than a eh. I like it when I have. Ah uh, people that love me or people that hate me, and I, I I don't have a shortage of either one yes
0: uh, and people are very willing to uh to let me know when when mean things
1: are said about me so <laughs> <laughs> I do it because I can take it now if you don't want me to, if you don't want me to send them to you anymore then I won't.
0: Oh no, that it's 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 okay. fine. Especially like uh, that one in particular was funny to me, um, and I, I think I responded with this. But like, it, like everything they were mad at me for saying, like their counterpoint was something that I also said. But like, <laughs> they only heard the part that made them mad, which was just like very funny to me. Um, <laughs> like they just clearly like hate me on a deep level.
1: Yes, yes, they do. Yes, that's definitely true. Yes. I know who this person is. Yes, and I did reveal. <laughs> I didn't reveal their name to you because I wanted to keep their privacy. (laughs) But yeah, they just can't. They can't stand you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So uh, another question
0: that was asked uh, was about your time as an escort. Uh, And one of the questions was uh, if you had any like awkward interactions, like if you saw one of your clients on the street somewhere or uh, or anything like that.
1: Well, uh, this was actually an interesting question because I have had a couple of awkward reactions, but more than anything, it was a result of the Peterson trial. Everything was fine in my life until the Peterson trial (laughs) came up. And in reality, that's not true. I actually was, uh, you know, I was still very much in the throes of addiction. I hadn't really gotten clean yet. And uh, I think in my head, I was sort of everything was fine, but it wasn't really. But everything came to a head during the Peterson trial because all of the previous clients that I had interactions with, I had a lot of regulars, a lot of people that enjoyed me because, you know, I wasn't a hustler. I wasn't a mean guy. I mean, I was a guy that they could have a conversation with about, you know, like a recent Supreme Court opinion and then go to bed and fuck our brains out. You know, Uh, it was just uh, I had I had friends. I I had clients who became friends. And the thing that happened after the Peterson trial was I stopped hearing from almost all of those guys. And the main reason was because of all the notoriety that the Peterson trial had, had gained me. All of the notoriety was interesting, but escorting by nature, especially when you're escorting with guys who are married or otherwise engaged with women or men... um, is not something that they want a lot of attention on. And uh, I remember writing to a couple of different guys after my experiences in the Peterson trial. No response. I remember seeing a guy at the mall, and uh, he was there with his partner. And his partner knew about me. It wasn't something that he was keeping secret. His partner and uh, uh, the other guy had seen me together on one occasion. And then the other guy had seen me by himself with his partner's knowledge. And uh, they basically blew me off it was like oh hi Brent and they just kept walking you know it was it, there was no uh warm feelings or anything like that i think everybody was just very scared about my notoriety from the peterson trial and whether or not i was continuing to talk to the police you know if you remember from that trial i was actually forced to talk to the court uh, under a uh, immunity agreement that they had granted me uh so it, it but a lot of people didn't understand that i think a lot of people from uh, uh, like a a bird's eye view, they viewed it as I was co- cooperating, co- rop, cooperating with the cops and trying to implicate a guy uh, based on some of his sexual activities when in reality, the reverse was actually true. I was very much trying not to testify. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people understood that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I could see just like why or like how that would impact you know, uh, people's perception, just like, even, even if it's like, you're just, you're on TV now, all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, that's a, a whole level of attention that I, you know, I never signed up for. And,
1: uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why I had to move away from North Carolina, not just because, uh, I had so much no- notoriety from the Peterson trial, but also because as an escort, I could not get work because mm-hmm. people were too scared to contact me. And I was too scared to put myself out there because I was certain that some prosecutor some detective somewhere would like to have my scalp on their wall as a trophy legally speaking and that they would try to set me up and so before when no one knew who i was you know the cops like as i told you in my previous podcast the cops don't care about you know some homo working as an escort you know uh, on on you know uh, uh, in North Carolina somewhere they just they don't care about something like that they don't want to get involved with it. they don't even care about the women who are doing that uh so the fact that I was left to my own devices was great, but then once the Peterson trial hit, I got a lot of notoriety. There was just no way I could continue that in North Carolina, and that's why I had to move back home
0: yes well uh we've been we've been waiting to uh talk about um the prices right that's uh that's one of the things that uh you you went on the prices right. you were always a big fan right
1: always a huge fan. It was like a dream to get onto the prices, right? I always wanted to get onto all of the 80s game shows. I was born in 1975, I'm 42 years old, so I'm getting ready to turn 43 and I was a kid during all of the 80s game shows. So, very much like Rob, I think Rob's a couple years younger than me, but he, we basically grew up around the same time and knew a lot of the same things like Price is Right and Pressure Luck and Super Password and Wordplay and Hit Me and all these 80s game shows that were really, really fun. And I wanted to be a part of them so bad because they looked so fun. But basically, I was born in the wrong era because I didn't turn 18 until 1993. And by 1993, most of the game shows that were on uh, morning television had been taken off, including like The Pyramid and Scrabble and and things like that. So uh, Price is Right was it. And I always wanted to be on the Price is Right. And I had gone out to Price is Right on leave, actually, with a friend of mine named Jerry, who has since passed. He was one of my best friends. And we went to the Price is Right. And I had a plan, Taryn. I had a plan. I was in the Army at the time. I was like, you know what, I'm going to wear my dress greens. I'm going to go to The Price is Right. And you know, I see them get on all the time. Guys who go in their dress greens, which is the proper formal wear that you wear when you're in the Army, they always get picked. And so I went to The Price is Right in my dress greens, but I wasn't my normal Brent exuberant self. I was just sort of... I, I was what I call butch Brent, which is like the same Brent that was the Brent from escorting, which is, you know, Hey, how you doing? My name is Brent. Nice to meet you. How are you doing, ma'am? You know, like a very polite and very, uh, probably like a half octave down from where I normally talk. And, uh, because of that, I did not get selected. In fact, there was a platoon from Fort Irwin there that day. They had about 60 other soldiers who were also in their dress <laughs> screen and I know, right? After I saw them, I was like, ah, shit. Uh, so uh, that that guy got selected. One of, one of their uh, captains got selected. And I was a little bitter about my experience, but I had a good time watching the show. So once I got out of the Army, I decided to take a trip with my parents. I had saved up for a long time. This was all escorting money, actually. I had saved up a lot of money. And part of the money that I saved up, I decided to take my parents on a trip. My sister, my mom, and my dad, we all went on a trip to california we were going to go to hollywood and we were also going to drive to las vegas but during our trip to hollywood we were going to go to the price is right and i had shirts made my ex mac had made shirts that were really really cool and uh, if you watch that episode of the price is right which actually is available on youtube if you type in the price is right and brent you will find it on youtube these shirts were absolutely spectacular And I do think that that was at least a reason why we got looked at. Because the shirts were... you know Everybody has a great shirt for The Price is Right. But ours were really, really awesome. And uh, once you go through the line at The Price is Right, you have about 10 seconds. And I knew exactly what to do. Because I had been there before. I thought I had a great audition. And I was with my parents. And you know what? My sister also had a great audition. I thought, you know what? If I don't get selected, I think my sister has a great shot to get selected. And we watched the show and name after name was called and I didn't get called to come on down. And we were right before the fifth game, which there are six games on the Price is Right, right before the, the uh, commercial of the fifth game. And I had said to my mom, because we had always planned on coming back the next day, if we didn't get selected, because we thought, well, you know, maybe we won't get selected on a Monday, but maybe Tuesday will be better. And I said, well, we'll just come back tomorrow. And I really didn't want to get selected at this point. Because... At this point in time, when Bob Barker was producing The Price is Right and hosting it, if you got called to come on down, that was your shot ever. I mean, you don't get another shot to get on The Price is Right. If you get called to come on down, it's like you're on the show and thus you can never be on The Price is Right again. So I didn't want to get called at the last moment only to get one bid or so and then basically have to take a seat and my dream of getting on The Price is Right is over. And right before that commercial, I said, okay, we're going to come back tomorrow. My mom said, okay. We come back from commercial. Rod Roddy, Rod was still the announcer at the time that that, that this was happening. Rod Roddy, who is uh, the next contestant on your list? It's Brent Wagamont. And oh my God, he said my name right. And I just jumped out of my... (laughs) At this point, I don't even care because you know there's nothing you can do at this point. I don't even care that that I really didn't want to be called. I was just so thrilled that I actually got called. I was right. My audition was really good. And I got called to come on down. I only had two chances to get on stage. To make a long story short, I opened up my mouth a little bit too much, and the girl next to me one dollared me and by one dollar, I mean I bid you know eighteen hundred and she bid eighteen oh one because she knew that I was good at bids, and she got on stage to play for a car. The good thing is she lost, which I thought was really funny, <laughs> but the the good thing about her doing that to me was that I got the last bid on my Eventual uh, chance to get on stage, so it was a TV. Actually, I had been pricing TVs because I, me and Mac needed a TV at the time that uh, I went out to the prices right, and so I knew they were about sixteen hundred. I thought, and uh, this guy bid twenty two hundred. The next girl bid nineteen hundred. I thought they were both over, but I wasn't sure. Then the old lady on the end, her name was Eleanor. She bid one dollar, which basically opened the door for me to bid two dollars, and uh, I didn't even think about it. Like it was like. Uh you know how the doctor takes the little uh square thingy and hits your knee and your knee just pops up you know how you know how he checks for reflexes Tara? Yeah. <laughs> um that's what it was like when she bid $1 bob didn't even have to say my name i was like $2 bob $2 <laughs> i know what i'm bidding like i'm so glad like if she had bid something like you know 1500 i would have had to sit there and think for a second you know but the fact that she made it $1 made it so easy for me obviously because you can't go over on the prices right and uh, I got on stage because it was like 1800 or something like that. And uh, I got to play cliffhangers and I had a great time, won my game, got to spin the big wheel, didn't make it to the showcase. But the addendum to this story that I wanted to tell you, I ended up winning about $8,000 worth of prizes. Was you remember I said that I thought my sister had had a really good audition? hmm. Well, I still stood by that. Many years later, I was like, you know what, Lori, if I hadn't been there, I'm pretty sure they would have picked you. But they're never going to pick me and Lori because they don't want to see us competing with each other down in contestants row. And so I said, you know what, if you ever get a chance to go back to The Price is Right, I am like, I will help you out. I'm certain that we can get you on the, sh- on the show. And uh, a couple years later, Bob had stopped hosting The Price is Right. And Drew Carey was the host of The Price is Right. And she said she was going to go out to Hollywood. I can't remember why. I think she was going out there with a friend. I don't remember the reason why. But the point is, she was going to go to The Price is Right. And they sent away for tickets. We knew what day she was going to be there. And I was like, I I did everything I could to coach her up on what to do to get on stage. And I said, you know, you had a great audition the first time. You just need to replicate that. And And I gave her a few more things that she could say in her 10 to 15 seconds in front of the producers. And let me just tell you that I've never been so proud of the fact that later that day she called me and said, "Brent." And I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "I got on the I got on the prices right." And I'm like, <laughs> "No way, really?" And not only that, she got to be one of the first four contestants. And that's so awesome because I had told her, I I remember saying this to your Taryn. I said, "If you're so lucky as to be called to be one of the first four contestants, you need to make sure that you bid much higher than you normally would be because they don't want an overbid to start the show to break their momentum. And thus, the first prize is always like an overpriced prize. Like it's something that looks 500 that really is like 1500. And so I had her bid really high. And because of that, she won the first prize on the item up for bid. And she got on stage right away and got to play for a car. So, you know, I, I mean, I did I prepare her for this show or what, Taryn? I thought I did it. <laughs> Well yeah, and and uh I, I know
0: you've also like helped uh helped people out in the RHAP community.
1: Yes, yes, Scott Green, who uh was or is an RHAP, RHAP patron. Uh he's a game show fan like myself. He was previously on Who Wants to be a Millionaire. Uh I don't think he really needed any help, but I did help him out in so far as what I knew to help him try to get on the show. And he did it. He got on the show again. It's just like, you know, come to Brent. I'm like the Price is Right whisperer. You know, like if you come to me, I'll get you on the show. So uh, uh, I I told him what to do, what to say. And we like basically practiced a little bit about how how his audition was going to go. And by by audition, I mean, like you've got 10 to 15 seconds in front of the producers. And if you don't impress them in that 10 to 15 seconds, they're going to they're going to quickly move on. So, uh, he got on stage and, uh, it was basically right out of a storybook. He played it about as well as he could. I think he ended up getting a little bit unlucky at the end, but, uh, he couldn't have, he couldn't have asked for any better from, from his point of view because he did, he did everything right. And, uh, in the end, there's always a little bit of luck involved in so far as what day you go to the show, what prizes they're going to have available, what games they're going to be playing that day. For instance, my, my sister knew exactly what she was doing on the prices, right? But she got a game, Spelling Bee, that. Yes, it's played for a car, but the downside is that unlike the game that I played, Cliffhangers, there's a little bit of luck involved with Spelling Bee and you can't account for something like luck. Just like in poker and anything, anything that involves a little bit of luck, there's just no way you can account for everything. And thus, she lost her game. And uh, but that doesn't mean she wasn't a great contestant because she knew exactly what she was doing. Yes, just like Big Brother. Yeah, exactly. There's always a little
0: bit of luck involved. (laughs) So uh, an, another thing that uh, that we've been waiting to talk about, and I think this is uh, this is one of the, the bigger parts, bigger aspects of your life. Um, and I think it does kind of tie into uh, the, the escort stories is um, is your uh, your partner, Jay, and how you met him and what the relationship is. Uh, so tell me about that.
1: Well, for those of you who never listened to me and Taryn and Jordan Parhar, and was Alex a part of that? I can't remember. The Valentine's Day podcast that Jordan did with you and me. uh, I addressed this, actually, but a lot of people probably didn't listen to that. I talked about how I met Jay. And the funny part is that when we were getting ready to do that podcast, I didn't realize that I was basically going to out me and Jay during that podcast, but it sort of just, it sort of just came up that way. I mean, Jordan asked me a question and there was really no way for me to answer it without lying. And thus I basically had had to answer it uh, in a truthful manner, which is, you know, that's always a good thing on these things to be as truthful as you can. And you know you're with, you're with Brent Wagamont. So I give you the real tea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when I moved back to, indianapolis after the peterson trial after north carolina basically i was i was using at the time but uh i was still getting over the trial and uh i was escorting in indianapolis and the surrounding area and to make a long story short uh jay was a client of mine so uh he hired me right out of right out of a website he looked at the website and he saw my ass and he was like yeah i'd like that guy. (laughs) That's so. That's really. That's really how it happened. Uh, I had a, I had a great website that I put together uh, with the help of my ex, and uh, I had written some things on there. So and everything was like spell checked and you know appropriate punctuation and capitalization. So he knew I wasn't an idiot. And so uh, he was like, you know, I, I think I like this guy, and uh, he hired me and we talked a little bit and he told me what uh, he wanted. Uh, ironically, he wanted a uh, um, and he's given me permission to tell you guys this. Um, <laughs> He wanted a job interview. He wanted to be the boss. And he wanted me to come in for a job interview and for things to take off from there. So oh obviously, I got the job, Taryn. <laughs> <laughs> but... uh yeah, we had, a, we had a great time. And then uh, I stayed the night. And the next day, we went out to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse there in Indianapolis. And we've always gone back to Ruth's Chris because that was our, our first restaurant together. And uh, he said, I want to see you again. I said, okay. And I knew that there was some chemistry between us because there had been chemistry between me and a few other clients before. And I knew, you know, you know when there's chemistry. And I said, okay. And so he said, I want to see you uh day after tomorrow. I said, okay. And I uh, we went to a place called Maggiano's which was on the north side of Indianapolis and uh, before we had gone to Magianos, we had had some fun back at the hotel and um we went out to Maggiano's and we started talking we had, we had a lot of I mean, even before Maggiano's we had started uh talking to each other on the phone and I, I was always a very nice guy and you know I'll talk to him about anything and um We'd had discussions about politics and uh, sports and movies and basically anything that you could have a conversation on. And you know, I'm never lost for words, Taryn. So uh, I, had, I had fun conversations with him. And so by the time our second dinner happened, I knew that there was quite a bit of chemistry between us. And I said, and I had been down this road before, because like I said, there had been chemistry between me and a few other clients. And I said to him, and he'll tell you this, that uh, he remembers this conversation as clear as day. And I said to him, I can sense that there's a little bit of chemistry between us. And I just want to tell you that, um, that I'm open to pursuing anything that, that life throws our way. But I do want to tell you right away that I'm not really a monogamous kind of boy. And uh, I just wanted to let him down easily from the start that if we did start seeing each other, you know off the books so to speak that a my escorting career was going to continue and b he wasn't going to be the only the only guy that i slept with i mean i was you know in my late 20s and uh, i was probably in the fittest shape of my life and you know i i i really like having casual sex and uh so i said you know i just want you to know that uh I'm not gonna be monogamous with you if, we, even if things continue on the way that we think they are. And he said, "Okay, you know, thank you, thank you for telling me that. I appreciate that. And uh, I think that our relationship blossomed because of my honesty in the beginning. I didn't try to make him think that I was somebody other than who I was. And uh, most of that was certainly true." Uh, and was you know apt and carried on through our relationship. He knew I wasn't a mon- monogamous kind of guy. I like to have my fun out elsewhere. But I did grow to really love Jay, and I eventually fell in love with him many years later. I loved him, and then I fell in love with him. And I can, if you want, I can get into the difference between that. But I want to quickly say that um, the escorting career is what did stop because I remember that. I was continuing escorting. And there was a website at the time called uh, Mail for Mail Escort Reviews. And actually, it had ta- they had brought up this website during the Peterson trial, ironically. And uh, I was finally the escort of the day. They always feature one escort as the escort of the day. And a client had written in, I- we had a really great time together. He thought I was a super guy, had a great time with me. He wrote in, and he wrote a review about me, and they featured it on the website. And I was like, so I was Taryn. I was so happy. I was like, you know, yeah, you know, because it's it's a it's a little bit of validation because I had been an escort for I don't know like four years now, and I finally was an escort. And usually the guys that they picked for the escort of the day were guys, you know, like porn stars, you know, guys who had been in the business for a long time. And thus, uh, I was like, you know, I could never, I could never get picked for something like that. But I, I did, and. I read the review and I was like, JJ, come here. I want to show you this. And so, like, he read the review. And when he read the review, I could see that his face sunk in a little bit because he's reading the experience that this guy had with me. And it's one thing for him to know that I'm going out and, you know, fucking another, you know, 25 year old who I meet, you know, at the bar. But it's another to actually read the experience that I had with a client. It was probably very close to Jay's age. And he didn't really like that. So I remember afterwards, he was really quiet. And I finally had to have a talk with him and said, I said, you know, well, I, you know, this is what I do. This is my job. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, at the time I was, you know, just getting back to school and I didn't really have another way to make money. And eventually we, we worked it out. I mean, he basically forbid me from escorting her again. <laughs> and uh we sort of moved in together so uh you know he started uh, taking over for some of the bills that I previously had to pay for and uh the rest is history so uh you know it was because of him that I stopped escorting the funny part is I don't even remember, I don't even remember my last client like people are people are like well who was your you know do you remember your last client like when you actually stopped escorting and the answer is no because I think I did a few other calls after that guy Um, But you know, it took him a few days to write in the review and for it to be published on the website. And you know, it's sort of like many things in my life end with a bang, but this was something that ended with a whimper. (laughs) It was just like sort of, it sort of just dribbled off. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not escorting anymore. So uh, yeah, so so Jay Jay said no more escorting. He just he 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 can handle me having fun with other guys, but he didn't want me to escort anymore. And I said, okay, I understand how you feel, and uh, the rest is history.
0: So do you think it was something that he? had always had a problem with or was it something that kind of uh was no. sparked by the, no. the review
1: yeah no i i I think uh he was totally fine with it because he knew i was escorting he you know he it's it's one of those things where don't ask don't tell is definitely better than yeah. let, let's ask and let's let's tell because he was fine with it like when he didn't have to see it but when he actually read what had happened between me and this guy and not that it was anything different than any other guy, but he got to read our experience together. I think he was a little bit possessive. I think, uh, I think a part of him was like, you know what? It's okay. If you want to go out and fuck some you know, 18-year-old or you know, 25-year-old, that's your business. But no one gets to have you anymore. No one gets to order you off the menu anymore. That, that's, I, I will not accept that. I think that's what went through his head. And uh, I think he understood me wanting to have fun. To be blunt, with kids my own age, because Jay's twenty years older than me, and you know you can have. I when I'm with an eighteen year old, it's going to be a different time than I am with than I have when I'm with Jay. You know, like there's just different experiences that that happen when you're with somebody. When the age difference is what it is, and uh, I think he understood that, but uh as far as guys ordering me off the menu, he wouldn't accept that anymore, so once he read that review, he was like nah this this isn't going to work not if we're if we're going to continue, then you can 't do this anymore, and if you can 't do this anymore, then obviously i 'm going to have to come up with a way where you can afford not to do this anymore and that 's what happened
0: so how did you feel when when he told you that like did you feel like uh like you were okay with that? Or did you feel kind of like attacked or like, like what was your response? No,
1: no, I felt great. I felt great. Not because I wasn't escorting anymore, but it showed me that he really, really loved me because, and maybe somebody would disagree with me about that, but I just love the fact that he couldn't accept that. I just I like the fact that he got jealous. I was like, oh, my God, that's so funny. (laughs) It's so funny that he got jealous over this over this guy, you know. But uh, I was so thrilled that he got jealous because uh, I think that, you know, my my track record in relationships hadn't been great up until that point. And I think I was questioning whether or not what was between me and Jay was was it just sex or was it emotional? Was it was it deeper than what I thought it was? And after that happened, I was certain that there was more to our relationship than just sex. And uh, I was I was very pleased by that. All right, I am interrupting our
0: currently scheduled program talking for another sponsorship here. Um, I uh, I I got contacted by another company that they they wanted to sponsor the show. And I was very excited about this because uh, I've actually I've had a couple of, of companies offer sponsorship and I've actually I've actually turned uh, I've turned one down because I didn't believe in the product. But uh, this company, they came to me and I was very excited because I actually already eat this thing. It's uh it's an RX bar. It's a uh, it's a protein bar. They have 11 flavors and uh it's it's made out of like. Whole food uh, stuff, Uh, they're very transparent about their ingredients. They are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugar, no artificial colors or flavors or preservatives or fillers. Um, Basically, like, all of their ingredients serve a certain purpose. So, like, they have egg whites for the protein. Uh, They bind it together with dates, and they have nuts for texture. Uh, It's very cool. Um, I, I, I don't talk about this too much, but I, I do try to be, uh, like a healthy person. And, uh, I had in fact run across these, uh, in my life prior to them, uh, contacting me because I, uh, I, I saw them as a good way to get protein in a healthy way. Uh, basically, you know, they sent me some, some bars and I've been eating them after every single workout. It's really awesome. Uh, it's actually really Good. Um, I'm a pretty picky eater, but I love the uh, I love the peanut butter bars. So uh, very excited about that. Um, but they're really great for anything. Uh, breakfast on the go, snack at the office, throw it on your bag for a plane. See, that's where I had it before. I had it for plane trips because I just was flying so much, and it's it's really perfect. Um, I usually don't like bars. They're just like they're either too sweet or they're like weird tasting. These actually taste good, uh, especially the peanut butter ones because they taste like actual peanut butter. Uh, and <laughs> It's really, it's really, really cool. Um, so I'm very happy that they uh, that they decided to sponsor the podcast. And I very much encourage everyone to check them out. So if you want to try some, you can go to rxbar.com slash Taren for 25% off your first order. That's rxbar.com slash And I now have two uh, websites with my name in their title. So that's pretty cool. So make sure you check that out. Uh, and thank you to RX Bar for, uh, for sponsoring the podcast. Now, let's get back to Brent. So how long had you been in a relationship up to that point? Uh,
1: I think I had been with Terry, my first relationship for four years, but the last two years really weren't much. We were sort of in a relationship in name only. And then I had been with Mac for about close to three years. And... At, I think I was actually still with Mac. I know this is a little bit weird, but the overlap is sort of understandable when you consider that I was with Mac while I was still escorting, so I was with mac i had we had I lived in North Carolina with Mac at the time of the Peterson trial, and I had moved away from North carolina but I, I I still thought that Mac and I could work it out. You know I really thought that we could work it out because I loved Mac and uh, he was just a great guy. He deserved a lot better than me to be honest. And uh, I always felt bad that I couldn't be the partner that I felt like he deserved, and I was still with Mac at the time that I met jay and then once the chemistry with Jay started happening, I started to sort of wrap my head around the fact that you know Mac and I may be over, and I think Mac and I were over. I just wasn't really ready to face it, and I think Mac understood that there 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 just wasn't a path forward for me and Mac because he couldn't leave North Carolina and i couldn't go back to north carolina so you can't really have a relationship with somebody when you're forced to be in two different states i mean i guess it's possible but for you you know there was never we didn't have a goal it it would be different if like we said okay a year from now we're going to be together and that maybe you could put up with it for that year but for it to be open ended where you couldn't live together was just it was an untenable situation and so i think that I mean, you know, I'm sure to the people listening, it might sound like I was cheating on Mac. And maybe, maybe I was, but uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, he, Mac always knew about the escorting, but he, you know, that it's, it's one thing to, you know, do a escort session with somebody. And it's another thing to fall in love with somebody. So uh, I think he was probably a little bit hurt by that. But there really wasn't another solution between me and Mac. And thus, I had to end it with Mac. And then Jay and I pursued our relationship together. So that's how it ha- that's the time frame of how it happened. And then, how long were you with Jay uh, before you
0: stopped escorting?
1: Oh, it wasn't long. It was probably like a month and a half, maybe maybe shorter. Jay didn't put up with that for very long. Uh, I think that because uh, he he kept coming back to Indianapolis because he was based in Chicago at the time. He kept coming back to Indianapolis uh, to see me like every week. and when he was there we would spend overnights together. And so, obviously, I was spending a lot of time with him. And uh, I think it was probably a month before uh, I stopped escorting. It wasn't long. And so, like, uh, in terms of
0: well, like him being okay with things, but not When he had to like read about it, um, is is that still how it is for for just casual sex as opposed to escorting? Like he he's okay with it, but he'd prefer to not have to like hear about it or 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 anything like that. No,
1: no, that's different. I mean, first of all, Jay and I have been together over thirteen years now. Like I said, it's very easy for me to keep track of our anniversary because it's the same year that I ended up getting clean. I I met Jay on July seventh of two thousand and four, and I got clean on December thirty first of two thousand and four. So uh, I was actually still using when I met Jay. So just to keep the time frame uh, clear there. um, No, I think that uh, Jay and I's relationship has gone through a couple different changes. First of all, when I met Jay, you know, I wasn't I I was totally honest with Jay when I first met him about everything in my life. But Jay wasn't totally honest with me about everything in his life. Uh, Jay was still married when I first met him. Uh, he was still married. And not only was he still married, but uh, his wife was not really aware of what was happening. I mean, she was aware that he was gay, probably, um, based on some previous interactions they had had in their their marriage when they first got married. But he was not or she was not aware of what was going on. And so I was sort of taken aback by that. He didn't tell me that for about a month and a half into our relationship. And uh, he said, You know what, my mom is really strict. And, uh, I don't want to disappoint her. She's really old. And I just, my, my mom wants me to wait until my daughter graduates from high school. And his daughter was beginning her senior year. She was getting ready to begin her senior year at that point. So basically, we had another year to go before he could get uh, divorced from his wife. And uh, I mean, I think that it was probably an uncomfortable experience. Um, It ended up lasting a a lot longer than either one of us had anticipated. But I just learned to block out the fact that he was married from my life. It was just something that uh, I was just sort of I basically just set it aside like, you know, that's only temporary and I'm not going to worry about that for right now. Um, The thing to keep in mind is that we eventually did move in together, but it was only because he had done some work with a new hospital system. Jay's a doctor, for those of you who missed our previous podcast. And uh, he also does a lot of business related to that. And so he had moved down to Louisville, and I had moved down there with him, Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I'd been for the past 12 years before I moved up close to Cincinnati earlier this year. And um, he wanted to make sure that his business got off to the start that he wanted it to. And he also just wanted to tie up some loose ends in his personal life. And I think that, that Jay had had problems wrapping him around the fact that... Wrapping his mind around the fact that he was going to come out. And uh, his coming out wasn't like mine. His coming out was sort of like how I ended my escort experience. It was very much a dribble. You know, <laughs> like when I came out, it was like, you know, ta-da! <laughs> it was like, hey, you know, like, I just want you guys to know this. But uh, that's not that's not how it was with Jay at all. Uh Jay's uh coming out was basically person by person and it was sort of something that was whispered and it wasn't how I would have done it but you know everybody has to come to their truth in their own time and uh you know what what what, what more can you ask for? You know he's 20 years older than me. I think he was, you know, basically 55 at the time. So I mean, it's not easy when you've lived on this earth for 55 years as a straight heterosexual man. And then to come out, it's not like the thing is that Jay's not really faggoty at all. I mean, he's pretty butch. He's pretty masculine. Not that there's anything wrong with being, you know, fey or swishy, but he's just not that way and thus no one really suspected that he was gay in the first place and so to have to change people's perceptions and say actually you know <laughs> not only am i getting a divorce uh, from my wife but i'm also gay so uh, yeah that wasn't easy for uh, some people to take i think he he actually did lose a couple friends because of that but uh i, I you know i always told him you know what eh. Those people, like, do you really want to be friends with those people? Like, who mm-hmm. cares? You know, like, if, if 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 that's the reason why someone won't be friends with you, then to hell with them. And I think he eventually did come to that. But he he's always had a tender heart, so uh, I, I I I just didn't want to see him get hurt. And uh, I I feel like that for the most part we managed that.
0: Yeah. So. Did you ever feel uh, like like guilty about the fact that, uh, you know, he was married? Like, did she know about you or like? She
1: eventually did know about me. Um, It was definitely an interesting experience. She did not take kindly to the fact that he wanted to end their marriage. Uh, At one point, uh, she threatened to commit suicide. And that wasn't a happy experience because at the end of the day, even though he is not in love with her anymore... Um, it's still the mother of their children, and uh, you know Jay has kids, and so uh, I think that that was probably not the best splitting of a couple that ever has been. It wasn't like the movies where the wife is like, "Yay, I have a gay husband now." <laughs> it was, uh, it was very much not like that. But uh, for you know, the question is to me, did I ever feel guilty about that? No, I I just wanted Jay to end up happy. And whatever happy was for him, I was going to support. If Jay had told me, you know what, Brent, I I can't do this. Um, I I I, I you know I can't I can't come out, and uh, I don't think I can continue our relationship. If he had told me that, I would have been crushed, but I would have accepted it because I just want him to be happy, and uh, that's why I feel like I never uh, felt guilty about my part of the early part of our relationship when uh, I was probably having more casual sex with guys than I probably should have been having at the time. Um, I was still a kid and I still had experiences that I want. I wanted to feel. And uh, I think for the first five years of Jay and I's relationship, I was still searching for something that I had right in my own backyard, as Dorothy would say from like the Wizard of Oz. Um, And Jay didn't really mind it because and i'm talking about my casual sex with, with other guys he didn't really mind it and he, in fact he didn't mind it at all because it was just something where both of us were able to separate love and sex like just because you have sex with someone doesn't mean that you're in love with them or that you're emotionally cheating on them but uh about i i i did sort of wrap my head around the fact that you know i want to be fair to him and so i i was always as honest as he wanted me to be and if you wanted to hear about the experience that i had with the guy then I would tell him about it and we would, you know, I think we both enjoyed that. Like like he's to be, to be totally blunt, Taryn, he's told me about experience that experiences that he's had when he's been traveling with other guys. And I have been, I think mainly to deal with my own guilt from, from it. I have been like the biggest cheerleader. I'm like, you know, the (laughs) the biggest rah-rah guy, like, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like, and what did you do? And you fucked him. Yeah. And you fucked him good. Yeah. You know, it was, It was just really great to hear him because I wanted to be happy. You know, I think that everybody in the world would have great relationships if they stopped caring about themselves and cared more about their partner and their happiness. And I just wanted Jay to be happy. So uh, I feel like we reached a good, amicable point where we were honest with each other about what we were doing with other guys. But we still had rules about, you know basically no kissing and no falling in love and no staying overnight. Those were, those were our rules. And uh, I feel like we both were able to abide by those rules until about five years into our relationship where Jay and I had stopped using condoms. Mm-hmm. And I think I told this, this uh, story on a previous podcast with you that uh, I had used condoms ever since my experience with uh, uh, dodging HIV right before I entered the military. And I had a little pact with God, as I call it. And I had promised God that I would always use condoms. If He spared my life, that I would always use condoms um, when appropriate. And I stayed true to that promise all throughout my 20s and all throughout my uh, relationship with Jay. For 5 years, we had been together and uh, we had used condoms. And I know Jay's sexual history, and I know what he does, and I know that he's HIV negative. And I just, I, you know, you have an understanding and trust about your partner. And at the end of the day, if you're going to have unprotected sex with somebody, you have to trust somebody. And uh, I trusted Jay, and he trusted me, and uh, we eventually decided to ditch the condoms. And uh, I will tell you that that level of intimacy that I experienced that day, the first time that we didn't use condoms was something that I had never experienced in my life. And it sounds so sexual. It sounds so salacious. But honestly, Taryn, it was the most amazing, intense, personal experience that I had ever had because I had never had unprotected sex with another man and could do it freely and openly. It was always the kind of thing where back when before I entered the military, I had Unprotected sex, but they were with random guys. I didn't know their status. And I was always hoping that they would pull out before they come. So I was like, you know, like it was basically I was like holding onto the chair with my hands for dear life, praying that they pulled out of me before they nutted because I was sort of playing Russian roulette with my life. But the experience that I had with Jay was so pure and so open and honest. And I knew that I could trust him wholly. And just 100 percently, that it made me reevaluate my feelings for him. And right around then was the time that I realized that not only did I love Jay, but I was in love with Jay. And I had never previously was able to have the ideas of sex and love to coexist. I had never, ever, through Terry, through Mac, through any guy I had previously met, I had never met a guy who the sex was great and hot and awesome. And I also was terribly in love with. I had never, ever had that experience where I was in love with somebody and the sex was also awesome. Usually by the time I fell in love with somebody or, or started to love them, the sex had grown stale. But this was the one relationship was the reverse. And I feel like a big part of that was our eventual decision to ditch the prophylactics and just experience sex as it was meant to be. And I was very taken with that experience. And I think Jay was too. And... Uh, Because of that, I felt like our relationship became closer. To answer, I know this is a question that people are going to be thinking when they're listening to this. They're going to say to themselves, so is he still having sex with other guys? And the short answer to that is yes. Jay and I still have occasional sex with other guys. But it's always safe. It's always with condoms. And it doesn't happen nearly as much. And I feel like the reason is because I can't experience... With other guys, what I experience with Jay. Like, it's like Diet Coke. (laughs) You know, like I drink regular Coke, and having sex with another guy when they have to put a piece of piece of plastic on to penetrate me is not very fun anymore. It used to be fun. It used to be great. But after I experienced what I did with Jay, it just doesn't feel like sex anymore. And, you know, that's where I that's that's basically that's where I'll leave it at. I mean, so I still do occasionally have sex. Jay and I have had sex with a guy together on his birthday. We actually hired a guy together, and that was very fun. But I think both of us felt the same, which was it's nice, you know, just like drinking a diet Coke is nice, <laughs> but it it's not the same thing. It's not <laughs> classic Coke. Um, it's not classic Coke exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so, like th- this. This concept fascinates me, uh, like the idea, uh, and, and it's interesting actually to hear you talk about like, you know, you, you initially had sex as something that was really like separate from, from like love and, and that, so like that sort of intimacy. And, um, and I think that's sort of what allowed you to be able to, um, you know, to, to have casual sex outside of a, a relationship. Uh, right and then, you know, in some ways you like you found that intimacy in sex. Do you think that you would have been able to uh have that same sort of uh, you know, relationship, the the open relationship so to speak, um if if you had had that experience of, of like sexual intimacy before uh
1: the short answer is unknown, but I will say that it's not like Here's the thing I want to make clear. It's I am not saying that the experience that I'm having right now of ha- of being in love with Jay and yet still occasionally having sex with a guy inside although to be c- totally fair like the last time we had sex was on Jay's birthday and with another guy and before that I think it was like a year and a half. So it's not like it's happening very often at all. Uh, in the beginning of our relationship I think I had sex with different guys like basically every week. <laughs> But now it's like, uh, you know, it's just not something that takes place very often. Again, to answer your question, I don't think that what I have currently is necessarily better than what I had previously. I don't want to throw shade on that. It's not like that just because I found love and intimacy with somebody doesn't mean that, you know, being able to separate the two is in any way worse. Um, I feel like that I probably would have still been able to separate love from sex, even if I had been able to previously feel the intimacy that I now feel uh, with my partner. But it would have been a different uh, it would have been a horse of a different color because it would just have molded me into a different person. And uh, I always felt like I was fighting a battle. You know, the the gay ideal that they put into the universe when they were like petitioning the Supreme Court for uh, marriage equality was that gay people are just like they're just like everybody else and the sh- the fact of the matter is that in some ways we are but in some ways we're not <laughs> like <laughs> like i just don't i feel like that uh that that men especially gay men uh, feel differently about sex than their straight female counterparts do i feel like their straight female counterparts are very um they i don't feel like they would be able to accept their partners you know screwing around with other women and uh swinging and uh having sex with you know anybody that they want i feel like that they would want the sort of fairy tale ideal of you know prince charming picking up snow white and riding off into the sunset and living happily ever after you know there's never a story about okay but on tuesdays prince charming goes over to cinderella's house and decides to have a little you know fun fun with the glass <laughs> slipper you know i mean there there's none of that and uh so i feel like that uh I feel like that in some ways the gay people are different. But I'm sure I'm gonna get a little bit of pushback from that, especially from the lesbians out there. But uh, you know, that's just my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right. It just means it's Brent's opinion and uh what are you gonna do? Well, do you I mean, you mentioned
0: like the, the Prince Charming thing, do you do you think part of it is just the fact that uh like main like mainstream culture didn't have a, a norm for for gay people, so you were able to sort of find your own instead of uh, you know, kind of just like walking down the, the you know the easy path
1: that's an interesting point actually i have tackled this before with a few other people about the fact that uh growing up you don't have gay icons on television you don't see yourself on television so you sort of superimpose yourself onto other people and make their life your own um in your head so to speak and uh I feel, like, I feel like that's a fair point that uh, I probably made my own way because I didn't see the way that I wanted to be on television. However, there was a guy in a television show that took place that I felt like I very much was this guy. There was a television show called uh, Queerest Folk. It was on, mm-hmm. I believe it was on Showtime, uh, like from 2000 to 2005. And there was a guy on there. His name was Brian Kenny. And Brian Kenny was so me. I mean, he like, he, Brian Kinney, he can just, he just fucked everything that moved and, uh, he thought very highly of himself and he could talk his way out of a brown paper bag and, uh, he was a little narcissistic fuck. And, uh, you know, I, I love Brian Kinney because, uh, he was, he was everything I wanted to be when I grew up. So, uh, but see, I didn't get to see Brian Kinney until I was like, you know, 29, 30 years old. So, you know, that for the formative years of my childhood, uh there wasn't any role there wasn't any role model on the horizon for me to look at and thus I probably just decided to uh create my own path because I didn't see it in front of me. Yeah. So do do you
0: do you have like any issues surrounding the the like open re- relationship where like I mean I imagine you know if if there's a couple that tries to have an open relationship there are I think often some common like issues that might arise from that. Did you have any of those issues or was it just like easy sailing from the get-go?
1: It's been easy sailing from the get-go and I really feel like a lot of it is because it's how our relationship started. There, It wasn't like there was ever a point in time where we were monogamous together and then one of us said, you know what, this isn't enough for me. Let's try mm. something else. <laughs> um, we were open from the beginning and I feel like that... But in some ways that Jay probably felt great about that, because number one, there was no pressure on him. He could still do whatever he wanted to do. And number two, it sort of alleviated any angst he might have from the beginning, because if in the beginning he thought that we were monogamous and then he found out that I wasn't, I think that would be crushing to him. But the fact that I was honest from the beginning and say, hey, look, I care about you. But I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I don't see myself being monogamous on the horizon. I feel like that that in some ways, he was very, very taken with that idea because all of a sudden, it wasn't about him anymore. It was just about me. And it wasn't like there was any shortcomings with him. He just understood that me personally, I needed more than what a monogamous relationship could provide me. And I feel like because of that, we have never had any issues... In our relationship, I think the closest that I ever came to having problems because of the fact that we see each see other people was there was a guy who just he awoke feelings in me that I hadn't experienced in a long time. Um, his name was I can say because it it's it's a very common name. His name was Chris, and he was a ballet dancer, but he was. So cute. And he had, obviously, as a ballet dancer, he has the hottest body you can possibly imagine. And, uh, you know, I've been pretty honest with you, Taryn, that uh, in my escorting career, I was always a top, but in my relationships, especially with Jay, um, I was always the bottom. But uh, with this particular uh, guy, he was like the gay ideal of what a bottom should be. He was young and he was like shaved and hairless. And he had a great ass and he was so angelic. Like he was somebody who just you just want you just wanted to corrupt him so bad. And and I did. And uh, he just wanted me to fuck the shit out of him. And he came over to my house probably like once a week. And the sex was absolutely amazing. I mean, he just walked in and, you know basically bent over and he was so great and he was so clean <gasps> and uh there was just it was just a part of me that I hadn't really entertained before that uh, that I was the dominant in the relationship you know I've never been the dominant in a relationship but I was so taken with this kid and he was a kid I mean he was like I think he was 20 years old at the time I think I said 19 but I think he was 20 years old um I don't even think he was old enough to drink yet, but uh, he was just so amazing. And I think part of it, it was just a the lust. There wasn't any real, you know, there wasn't any real emotion behind it. It was just lust on my part. But it, but the lust was so strong that I sort of believed that it was emotion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there there was a moment in time where I considered riding off into the sunset with him. But but it was never first of all, I don't think that he was ready to ride off into the sunset with me. And two, even though I hadn't fell in love with Jay yet, I still loved Jay. I cared about him. I didn't want to hurt him. And Jay had been so good to me. And our sex had been great up until then. Obviously, it would become better. But uh, I, I felt I just made a choice. And uh, I feel like uh, that, that was probably the closest I've ever come to exiting my relationship with Jay. And you know what? I was honest with him about it. I told Jay everything. I told him everything everything i told him what had happened between me and this kid i i told him what i was feeling i told him why and he understood everything he understood because he said that that's how he felt when he met me <laughs> uh-huh. he was like that's how he felt when i met you you know he's like there's this guy that you just love and he's got this great body and he's got you know like hairless and you know because i had all my hair lasered off a long time ago and you know the, he's you know, I just want to have you and play with you. And, you know, all of a sudden I was on the other end of the stick and I was thinking that about this kid. And, uh, I think I was like, what, 31 at the time, 30 ish, maybe at the time. And this kid was like, like I said, 19 or 20. So I don't know. It was just, uh, I I still look back at that experience and I smile because I have never felt so empowered as i did when i was with him and i felt like i was giving that kid everything that he wanted and i knew what he wanted because i wanted it 10 years previously does that make sense like i used to be that kid and so i knew what he wanted and thus it was very fun to make his dreams a reality okay
0: (laughs) so well i think like an important part of that that story is the the fact that you could be open with with Jay about it and that he is able to to hear that. I think that I think a lot of issues in relationships stem from you know people who are afraid to tell their partner about things that they know will will hurt them or might hurt them um and then you know inversely uh you know a partner's inability to hear things that might hurt them from the their partner. Uh, and like then they might not want to hear it and they might react poorly because of it. Uh, like, wh- what is it do you do you think that that enabled you and Jay to be able to discuss those kinds of things without it, it it blowing up?
1: I honestly believe that it was the roles that were taking place. If I had met another guy that was similar to Jay and started to have feelings for that guy and that guy had fucked the hell out of me basically taking jay's place in the relationship mm. i feel like that jay would have probably not responded as well as he did but the fact that basically i was the new jay in this relationship like this kid did this kid had no money so like i would have like been i would have been the one taking care of him you see what i'm saying yeah. and i was the one fucking him and i was the one telling him what to do it was just Everything that Jay was currently doing to me, he was making all the decisions about our life. And I was happy for him to make them. I didn't care. Um, I would have been making all of the the decisions. Not all the decisions, but a lot of the decisions about our life together if I decided to take on this kid. But what I decided in the end was I didn't want to stop being a kid because I like being a kid. And uh, I felt like I was still a kid with Jay. And I didn't want to all of a sudden have to grow up and start... You know, taking responsibility for my life. I liked somebody else taking care of me for me. And thus, I feel like that Jay was able to understand this because it was basically, it was sort of a compliment to him where I wanted to be the new Jay. I wanted to experience what he was experiencing, which was, you know, taking the lead in a relationship. And, you know, I think that a lot of people maybe don't understand my view of sex and life, but. I've always sort of intertwined the two. So if you're the dominant one in life, in the relationship, you're probably the dominant one in the sexual relationship. And I don't think that everybody, I don't think everybody feels that way about sex. In fact, I'm certain of it. But for me personally, that's how I view things. That's how I always have. And thus, uh, I feel like that Jay wasn't threatened by Chris as much because he he totally could understand where it was coming from. He was lately, I showed him his pictures and he was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) he was like yeah i i uh i totally see this yeah that's that's really really hard to resist i can understand why you might want to uh basically play daddy for uh, a little while with this kid because he he was so hot (laughs) My god (laughs) oh yeah i gotta go look at pictures of him hold on (laughs) (laughs)
0: well do you think that that uh that in many ways then that this sort of dynamic and and the openness of the relationship is something that that made it stronger because it, it does it seems like, you know, I think I think the the perception of open relationships in general tends to be like, oh, man, that's fraught with danger and could like um one of a thousand things could go wrong. But in in many other ways, and I think it's probably evidenced in in your relationship that like it it could make it a lot stronger because you you may fly closer to the sun in some respects, but you have like. Uh, you have, like, more protection from the sun because you're so honest and open about what you're doing. Does that make sense? Does that feel like how yeah
1: no i really like that analogy that's that's actually great um i feel like that's probably pretty apt i do fly close to the sun a lot but uh, i feel like that it's life and why wouldn't you want to fly close to the sun you know you want to experience everything and uh was it dangerous for me to start having feelings for this young buck uh yeah it was probably dangerous for our relationship but in the end i still made the choice to be with jay i still made the choice that you know what I don't want to leave my relationship with Jay. I love Jay. And I feel like there's more potential for this relationship than than there would be for that relationship. And I feel like that was an an apt call on on my part. Because I think it would have been fun for me to, you know, basically play the top for, you know, a month, three months, six months, maybe even a year. I mean, he had an ass that was so good. I don't think I would have gotten tired of fucking it for a long fucking time. But in the end, I think that I probably would have been like, yeah... This isn't really what I want long term because I know what I am. And thus, you know, so.
0: Yeah. Like, what what do you think would have happened if you had had an experience that that may have threatened Jay, like like that had similar roles, um, but maybe had, you know, for whatever reason, like was more enticing?
1: Yeah, there was a experience that I had where I ended up hiring a porn star. Uh His name was Chase Hunter. He was a falcon porn star if you 're a gay man, you know what Falcon is. It was like the preeminent uh gay uh porn studio through the 1990s and the 2000s and it still exists today, but it 's not as... obviously there 's a million porn studios now and uh he was one of the porn stars that was just you know like like uh, the he was the equivalent of Jenna jameson you know he was the like one of the major major porn stars of the 1990s and 2000s. His name was Chase Hunter. He was fit. He was older. He was a daddy. He had a huge dick. And I hired him when I was down in Florida, because that's where he lives. And I paid $500 to spend a couple hours with this guy. And I told Jay about it ahead of time. And he knew I was going to see a guy. And I said, Look, I've always wanted to see this guy. He's he's my childhood idol. Like when I was 18 years old and whacking off, like I would I would I would watch this guy. You know, so I mean, like I this is this is a chance of a lifetime. This is like the equivalent of me meeting Bob Barker. You know, like this is an (laughs) idol. You know, and so he's like, okay, I understand, but he wasn't thrilled about it because he had seen a couple of the movies, and I feel like he knew what was going to happen. It's one thing if I'm the one doing the fucking, but it's another thing if I'm the one getting fucked because that's Jay's territory. And thus, I don't think he really liked me going over to see Chase Hunter, but I went over to see Chase Hunter and I had the time of my life. I mean, you think, Oh my God, like, like it's never going to, uh, amount to what you think in your head. Like the fantasy in your head is always going to be, it's always going to be better than the reality. Not so much, Karen Armstrong. <laughs> the fantasy was everything. I had such a great time. And the whole time that I was with Chase Hunter, I was just like a kid in a candy store. I was just looking at him like, like, I can't believe this is happening right now. Like, I mean, I used to watch you on my VCR when I was 18 and now you're on top of me. I mean, like. <laughs> it was just great but the the key to the story is that yes i had a great experience with chase hunter and eventually i did hire him again like a year later when we went back to florida but two things happened number 1 when i started telling jay the story he was very uninterested and thus i shut it down i i you know i could tell that he didn't really want to hear about it um i said to him hey you know did you not want me to go see this guy because if you didn't want me to go i wouldn't have gone he's like no 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 Look, he's like, I wanted you to see him. He's like, it's cool. But I could tell this was not like the guy from the ballet. Like, hmm. Jay didn't want to hear all of the uh, salacious details of what I had done with Chase Hunter. Whereas with the guy from the ballet, he was like, okay, tell me what happened. So, you know, like, <laughs> what, what did you do? Like, you know. And so, you know what? I was a good partner. And I didn't I didn't shove it in his face. And I didn't start telling him stuff that he didn't want to hear. So I was honest about it to a point. But when I could tell that he didn't want to hear any more about it, I shut it down. Likewise, the next season, when I saw Chase Hunter again, I didn't even tell Jay I was going to see him. And the reason I didn't tell him was not because of me. It was because of him. I didn't feel like that he would feel great about it. I felt like he would be a little hurt by it, even though he would. But I also felt like he would not vocalize those feelings to me because he's such a great partner. And because of that, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to hurt his feelings. I'm not even going to tell him about Chase Hunter. And uh, I went to see Chase Hunter, had a great time again. And when I came back, I didn't mention it. I didn't mention that I had seen Chase Hunter until like two years later. And the funny part is that two years later, he was still a little bit annoyed by it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, it's two years later. Yeah. I told totally you. He was like, you did. And I'm like, yeah, I saw him again. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, but I just not I didn't want to tell you because you didn't respond great the first time, but you said you were okay with it. He's like, yeah, I'm okay with it. It was again, one of those kind of partnerish things that we say to each other where we're, we say we're okay with it, but we're not really okay with it. Um, but, this basically this was one of those instances where Brent just decided that Brent was going to have a little bit of Brent time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just decided, you know what? I've been honest with Jay. I told him I'm not a monogamous guy. I want to see this guy. He's my dream. He's my idol. I'm not going to pass this up. And you know, even if it hurts Jay's feelings, you know what? So what? I, I I'll hurt Jay's feelings. And uh there've been a couple of times where Jay's done that to me as well. I mean, he he saw a guy that uh he had I'll tell this story too. So there was a guy who preceded me uh, as Jay's boyfriend. They never lived together, but uh, his name was Garrett. And I looked at Garrett, and he reminded me very much of myself, like <laughs> his body and the way he, the way he acted. Um, I was a little threatened by him because I was like, well, you know, that was probably the new me when he or the new I was the new Garrett when Jay met me. And he said that he didn't talk to Garrett anymore. And then one day. I saw his phone light up and somebody was calling and it was Garrett. And this is probably like three years into our relationship. And I said, why is Garrett calling you? He's like, oh, well, I sent him some money. I'm like, what? You said, you what? (laughs) He's like, I sent him some money. He's like, he's like, he's doing really terrible. And, you know, I felt like I just needed to. And I felt really bad for him. I'm like, well, you know, if you're okay with it, that's okay. Then like a year later, it happens again, where Garrett, was calling and of course something bad had happened to Garrett and Jay sent him some money and he felt really bad for him. He never hooked up with him though, at least to my knowledge, and uh, I, I think that's probably the reason why I didn't get madder. because you know it's one thing if you have just random sex with a random guy, but if you did have sex with like a previous partner, like Jay was threatened when I had dinner with Mac, who was my previous partner. And there's really nothing to be threatened there about. But it's just because of the history between us, you know. And uh, I feel like that Jay probably rolled the dice a couple times with Garrett in terms of helping him out, even though he knew it would piss me off. And you know what? He didn't tell me about it to start. I only learned about it because Garrett lit up on the phone. And I was like, why is Garrett calling you? Uh, But I feel like that like once I took a step back from it and basically got over my own feelings, I realized that part of the reason that jay fell in love with me was because of how he is and the reason how he is is how he is when he was with garrett i mean i think that jay at his core is a bit of a guardian angel i feel like that that's just who he is and he he likes to save people and i've been honest about the fact that you know i was still using when i met jay and i remember telling him the day that the day that i told him that i was still using was the day that i got clean so uh, basically, I'd hid the fact that I was using from Jay. And then eventually, when I got clean with the help of the VA uh, and, and went on Suboxone, which is the medication that I'm still on to this day, um, I told him about it. And he was sort of amazed by it. That he was he was really amazed that I'd hid it from him. And he was he was also amazed that I'd eventually gotten clean. And he, he he had a great response to it where he just wanted to learn about this medication. And he wanted to learn more about it to help me you know, further in my life, but like I said, that's Jay. He's a guardian angel. He's just the kind of person. And I'm Taryn. I'm sure you've met people like this. It's just in their nature to save people. And I felt like I needed saving at the time that Jay met me. And I also feel like that Garrett, to a certain extent, needed saving at the time that Jay met him, and even further on into our relationship together. So how could I get mad at Jay for doing something other than? What he was probably put on this earth to do, and that's save people. That's probably why he became a doctor in the first place. I feel like that—that's just who he is. Yeah. Um.
0: So, like, do you have do you have trouble like if you are if you are hiring this this porn star and you're not telling Jay? Do you have, do you have trouble with that? Like the fact that you do you feel like you're keeping it from him? <clears throat> like, how does that? Because then obviously once he finds out, like, was he? Was he upset that you didn't tell him or was he upset that it happened or like like how did that how does that work?
1: I'm not even sure upset is in the universe of what we're talking about. I feel like for to answer your question. No, I didn't feel bad about it. Look, I told Jay from the from the start of our relationship and this was. You know, this is like I said. This is before we. I, I really fell in love with him, and we sort of went condomless. Not that that would have changed anything, but it's just a different chapter in our relationship together. I told Jay from the moment I started dating him on the second date together at Vangiano's, I said, "Look, I'm not a monogamous guy. You need to know that if you want to be in a relationship with me." Basically, he said, "Okay, okay." So our relationship continues. We're in a relationship together. I I see Chase Hunter. And I'm like, I want to hire this guy. I told him the first time he didn't respond well to it. And thus, I, this is one of those instances where I'm sure people out there will understand. You're in a relationship with somebody, you have to make a call. What, what call are you going to make? Are you going to tell Jay and hurt his feelings and have a miserable experience when you go to see Chase Hunter because you're feeling guilty about the fact that you just hurt your partner's feelings? Or are you going to spare your partner's feelings because he didn't really want to hear about it the first time around? Why does he want to hear about it now and have a great time with Chase Hunter and have no guilt whatsoever? So, I mean, there shouldn't be any guilt to begin with, but I'm a human and I care about Jay and I don't want to hurt him. And he couldn't even explain to me why he didn't want to hear about Chase Hunter. Again, I think it just goes back to the fact that if I was the one fucking Chase Hunter, he would have been fine. The fact that Chase Hunter was the one fucking me, I feel like that he has a problem with that because he that's just he's a little to be blunt, he's just a little possessive of my ass. And I don't think I don't think that he wants anybody else having that. That's like that's his thing. So, you know, uh I what can I tell you, Taryn? I just had to make a call and yeah. um I, you know once i did tell him it was sort of like a joke the funny part is that he didn't respond to it like it was a joke he was like you you, you he's like you hired him again i'm like yeah i did <laughs> and i'm like well you didn't want to hear about it the first time why didn't you think i was going to tell you about it the second time he's like okay well i understand he's like are you gonna see him again i'm like no don't worry i'm not gonna see you again <laughs> well like, like do you, do you worry like
0: do you worry that like do you think it would be worse if you if you went and did that, and then like he somehow found out without you telling him? Like, would it feel like you did something behind his back, or would he? Would it still just be kind of like, oh, you saw him, and like, it, would that be worse?
1: Uh, no, I pre- well, it probably wouldn't be worse. Uh, I mean, maybe it would be practically speaking, because. He would maybe feel like he caught me doing something. But I want to just go back to the fact that, look, you know, Mm -hmm. I warned you about this when we first were together. I'm not a monogamous kind of guy. I like having casual sex with other guys. Occasionally speaking, that doesn't change anything about our relationship together. And he said he understood that. And he was totally fine with that when I was, you know, topping other guys, when I was fucking other guys, he was totally fine with that. All of a sudden, when... I am the one who's getting fucked. He's like, well, I don't really want to hear about that very much. So you know what? So I won't tell you about it then. But you know, I feel like I do feel like our relationship is stronger. He, like I said, he started talking to Garrett when he told me he wasn't going to talk to Garrett any mother any, anymore, and I felt like there was a little bit of a break in trust as far as intimacy goes. I mean, yes, they didn't have sex together, but it still felt like he was maybe emotionally cheating on me a little bit by talking with Garrett in the first place, even though, and and that's, see, that's the thing. It's totally irrational of me to feel like that, but yet I can't change the way I feel. Likewise Mm -hmm. with Jay, it's irrational for him to feel like he did with Chase Hunter because he knows that I told him in the beginning that I'm not, I'm not monogamous. Why would he expect that out of me? And yet, He can't change the way he feels. So I feel like that a good partner is somebody who is as honest as you can be to your partner without hurting their feelings and knowing when to shut down when honesty isn't the best course of action. And also being, being able to tolerate your partner's irrational feelings is also a Mm -hmm. big part of a successful relationship. I mean, relationships aren't rational. There's no rational reason why he would feel differently about me having sex with Chase Hunter than he would Chris from the ballet. Because frankly, I had more intense feelings with Chris from the ballet. Except, you know, it was a different kind of animal. But there was no... The feelings that I was having for Chase Hunter were not real feelings. They were nostalgic feelings. Like, oh my god, I feel like I'm 18 again, and this is what I always wanted. There was no... There was no validity validity to the feelings that i was feeling at the time does that make sense
0: have you ever found yourself in a situation where like an irrational response doesn't go away like um you know like like it's 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 one thing to tolerate an irrational response which i think is is an important part of being in a relationship but like what happens if that just like persists
1: there there was a one time where uh I felt like that Jay had a irrational response that didn't go away. And I honored that because I'm a cool guy. So remember the guy from the ballet, Chris? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he started having sex with my doctor. There was a doctor who was taking care of me uh, for reasons. And I'm not telling you guys what he was taking care of me for, because I don't want you to know who the doctor is. So just, just know that, that there was a guy who, that Chris was having sex with. And supposedly, this doctor had the biggest dick that Chris has ever seen. And thus that became somewhat of interest to me because, (laughs) you know, I like, I like, I like, uh, I'm a bit of a size queen. So, uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to investigate this further. And thus uh, I knew that uh, this guy and his partner had sex occasionally. And I knew that he had had, Some feelings for me previously to uh, me becoming his patient. Now that I wasn't his patient anymore, I felt like that if I wanted to have sex with him, I probably could. And uh, Chris had had sex with him and said, oh, my God, it it was absolutely amazing. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to do this. And thus, I told Jay about it. Jay did not want that at all. He was like, No, I do not. I do not like that. Like, I don't like that guy. He, he never ever liked this guy. I can't say his name. But he never liked this doctor. He thought he was hoity-toity. He thought he thought better of himself than he did about everybody else. He thought he was a little bit of a snob. And he's like, You know what? I'm not letting you go over to that guy's house. And I could sort of see it in his face that he meant business. And I was like, Okay. And I, you know what? I never did. I never ever had sex with that doctor, even though I really wanted to, because I heard like he had like a twelve inch (laughs) dick, and it was as big. It it was like as big as a beer can. Like I've heard stories about this guy, but Jay was so threatened by him and so annoyed with him. It it wasn't just that he was threatened by him. He it was an affront to who he is. Like Jay Mm -hmm. was like, "You are not having sex with that guy," (laughs) and he was like, "You can have sex with all these other people, but you cannot have sex with him. I will not allow it. I will not allow him to have you." Because you're mine, I think. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but that's basically what he was saying. And I was sort of taken by that. Like, like I said previously, the fact that he had such a irrational response, like just like on the escort review site, it was very much. It was very cute. It was very like, oh, you're you're a little jealous. I, I see it. <laughs> so uh, okay, I'll I'll honor what you're feeling, and uh, I won't have sex with him. So I was a, I was a good boy, and I didn't yeah i, I feel even like though it kills me to this day <laughs>
0: <laughs> i feel like that's reasonable i feel like uh you know you get a few asks right like even if they're irrational it's like uh like you know give me this one thing like uh don't don't do that one like yeah
1: uh... i feel like that's come up on reality tv a little bit where there's a couple asks where you could go this way or that way and you do something for someone that maybe isn't the perfect move but it's going to make your alliance members happy and thus even though it's not the optimal move you're going to support it because it does more for the greater good later on
0: you know yeah uh speaking of reality tv um let's let's uh let's wrap it up with uh your your uh experience with reality tv you're getting into rhap your youtube channel all of that like uh tell me tell me the uh the, the origin story there
1: so uh, RHAP, I don't even remember how I found it. I think it was probably a link on the Joker's Updates website. So I went to Joker's Updates, and there was a link for RHAP because they also cover a little bit of Survivor over there in the uh, in the forum. And there was a link for Rob as a Podcast. I didn't know what it was. I think it said Rob Sesternino. I knew who he was from uh, Survivor of the Amazon. And I clicked on it, and it was a spreecast... Of Rob and Nicole talking about survivor heroes versus villains. And it was very, very fun. And you could like talk to them and you could type in the chat. And I was like, this is very fun. And uh, also, I was like, you know, Rob was one of my idols because Rob was like, Rob was the first player on Survivor. like He he wasn't a player, but he was a player. You know what I mean? Like He was the first one who was willing to cut people and basically laugh about it in his confessionals. And I thought he was great. I just wanted to be Rob Sesternino when I was watching Survivor of the Amazon. And thus, um, I thought that this was a fun show. And I liked his wife. I thought she was very funny, Nicole. And uh, I started you know, submitting a few questions here and there. So I had listened to Rob and Nicole on uh uh talking on spreecast talking about survivor heroes versus villains, and then I think later that season they had covered a little bit of and it wasn't in any formal fashion, but there had been a few episodes of them covering uh Big Brother twelve, which was the uh, first Rachel Riley season with the um the brigade and uh and then obviously uh the next season was when she came back and then the, the next season was finally Big Brother fourteen, which is where I felt like. Rob really started covering Big Brother in its fullest was uh, Dan Giesling on uh, Big Brother 14. I remember there were like, emergency podcasts, Taryn, <laughs> on RHAP when Dan was making all of his moves on uh, Big Brother 14. So I had listened to uh, Rob as a podcast quite a bit for the first few seasons. And there was a guy named Brian Lynch, who was the live feed correspondent for... Rob as a podcast during Big Brother 16 and it became evident that he was probably going to leave. I think that his way of podcasting maybe didn't mesh as well long term with Rob's way of podcasting. Um you know, I, I think that anybody who listened to those episodes will probably understand that Brian's a great guy and he's very very fun. Um he's uh probably even more intense than I am and so that might give you a little bit of understanding yeah. <laughs> of why why uh, they had to part ways. And uh, Rob sent out this um, audition basically for he needed uh, Life Feed correspondents and he decided that he was going to have multiple uh, Life Feed correspondents. He didn't just want to have one, he wanted to have a, a few different people so that he could pull different people for different shows and always have like a rotating crop of people. If someone wasn't there, someone basically. When Brian Lynch was the life correspondent, he could never go on vacation. I mean, he was he was it. I mean, he was stuck in his house and, you know, there wasn't a really a lot of time for him to do other things in his life. But Rob decided he wanted to have three or four different life correspondents. And he was going to have auditions for the upcoming season of Big Brother Canada three. And uh he was going to see what was out there and so obviously i had been trying to figure out a way to weasel my way onto rhap for some time uh, there really wasn't a way for me to do it because i think survivor was being covered like by 20 different shows and i felt like that there really wasn't a place for me there but Big Brother was different, and I felt like this was something I could do. Also, I had written in angry responses to Brian Lynch occasionally <laughs> in the comment section and told him where he was wrong. And thus, I already had a little bit of a... Uh, I mean, maybe a, a little bit of an in insofar as Big Brother goes. So I put out my audition video right at the same time that you put out your audition video. And uh, we were in the mill of like, I think, 12 or 10 other people who were auditioning for... Um, the life correspondent position on Big Brother Canada 3. And eventually, I got the job. So, uh, you know, and then he also hired these two other goobers. And uh, <laughs> 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 no, I'm talking about you and Alex, obviously. And oh, uh, but, but it was all about possibly me. possibly so. be talking about me. <laughs> and uh, so there you go. So that's how I came to uh, be employed by RHAP. And then I have written angry letters to Rob, trying to get him to cover... Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race and uh, (laughs) um, uh, he eventually did decide to cover RuPaul's Drag Race but uh, it took a little it took a little doing but like anything with Rob moves at a judicious but deliberate manner you know so uh, he was he wanted to be certain that he wanted to cover it and that it was something that his patrons would enjoy I feel like that like anything with RHAP it it took off when he moved over from uh, PayPal Uh, To Patreon, like when, 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 yeah, when Rob moved over to Patreon, that's where everything took off, and uh, he started covering more shows. Obviously, uh, uh, reality TV wrap ups came into existence. Post show recaps came into existence, and uh, I've put my, I've dipped my toes into the water with various different things. But I feel like at the end of the day, I'm very, very happy being a live correspondent for Big Brother because it's just such an insane show that I feel like it's perfect for me to cover. Yeah,
0: I like. I do feel like uh, Survivor is the more prestigious show, but I think Big Brother is way more fun to cover. Uh, way more just, fun. Yeah, like uh, it's Big Brother is meant to be podcasted about. Like uh, we we have a very uh, we're a lucky position to be able to do it.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the stuff that I say about Big Brother, uh, spe- specifically Big Brother U.S. I don't really feel like you could get away with saying that stuff about Survivor. Like, if I was on Survivor on a Survivor recap with Rob ranting about Survivor, I feel like that some of the things I say might impact his ability to get exit interviews with some of the contestants. (laughs) But the fact that I'm doing it, yelling at you on Twitter, I know, right? But then, uh, Big Brother. I mean, like Julie Chen, she doesn't. I mean, she knows who Rob as a podcast is, but I think only because he like interviewed her in the backyard a couple times. Like, it's not like she's following us on Twitter. Whereas, like, you know. Probst, I feel like, has at least a very good understanding of what RHAP is. I mean, he's sent, you know, I feel like, you know, Rob's interviewed him before. He's done a few videos for us. He knows what RHAP is. And also, Big Brother Canada, obviously, they really know who RHAP is. So when you start flapping your gums about uh, Big Brother Canada being rigged, you better be sure that you're, <laughs> you're on a periscope. You're going to hear about it from the host occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> it's not rigged by the way i'm just uh i got mad one night and i said that and then uh, for those of you who don't know that story um uh, oh, oh, oh i know what taryn it was when um it was when the brothers yep. tried to nominate themselves yeah the brothers tried to nominate themselves on big brother canada Four. they were the head of household and they tried to nominate themselves so basically it's like having the immunity necklace and still trying to wear the immunity necklace but saying hey you can vote for me it just made no sense whatsoever and I was like, if they want to give it away, let them give it away. But they wouldn't let them give it away. They wouldn't let them place themselves on the nomination block. And I just went off on Periscope about it. But little did I know that the host of Big Brother Canada, Arissa Cox, actually keeps up on the social media of what's <laughs> happening with Big Brother Canada. And she watched that Periscope and she was none too pleased that I was... <laughs> she loves me. Let me just say that. Arissa Cox and I, besties, we're cool, but uh, she was not living for the fact that I was saying that their show was rigged, and I got a little talking to from Rob. That's the only time where he's ever called me up and said, hey, you know, that periscope that you did, maybe maybe just want to turn it down just a little bit (laughs) because And so I'm getting a little pushback from the producers of Big Brother Canada, and I don't think it's a good look for our HAP. And you know what? That's all I need. If somebody says, "Hey, Brent, tone it down," I'll tone it down, and I did.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think the yeah, I think the conspiracy theory is, uh, you know, not, not always the best look.
1: Not always the best look, but you know what? There are so many fans out there who think that way. It's, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like it the thing is, I feel like it's really good for them to have an outlet. Like when I say things on a podcast, people write into me and they say, you know what? I was gonna write into Rob and tell him how pissed off I am that he <laughs> didn't say this on, you know, like when he was talking about the finale of Survivor and he really didn't take them to task as much as I think that a lot of people wanted him to take them to task. But then you and I came on and basically I read him the Riot Act and really went after them with with Aubrey Brocco. I, so many people wrote into me privately and said, You know, I felt like I was so angry at Rob. But then after I listened to you, and you basically said all of the feelings that I was feeling, I feel so much better now. Thank you for that. And so I feel like there is an outlet for that kind of podcasting. Maybe we just don't see it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and like uh, I, I do think like I think that that's one of,
0: uh, and we talked about this on the Big Brother podcast that we did recently. But like, there's there's definitely a benefit to having the multiple perspectives. Um, but uh, I I do think there's a line for where it's like uh, like angry at the show versus like uh, you know accusing them of of uh, you know underhanded business.
1: Yeah, there's a, definitely a line. The line is Brent Wagamot being over the line <laughs> is Brian Lynch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right <laughs> um cool uh what else you want to talk about you want to talk about uh, how i became a youtuber we really want to talk yes. about that we really want to talk about that okay yes yeah, cool. so right, so we'll so let's about finish
0: it. up with the slots and then uh then we'll uh we'll be good and we'll do uh we'll do a part four at some point where we uh we discuss modern life and philosophy
1: yeah, that'd be fun. I like that. That would be very, very fun, actually. Uh, so, uh, the look, I became a YouTube personality basically as an accident. I mean, it was an accident. I, um, For those of you who don't know, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Brent's Lucky Slot Channel. And it has uh, almost 20,000 subscribers now. I think it has... Uh, oh, gosh, I have to see. But like something like 18 million lifetime views. Um, but make no mistake, the people are there. A little bit for me, but they're also there for my slot wins. Basically, I go to the casino and uh, I tape my bonuses on the slot machines. Sometimes I tape my whole experience playing a slot machine. I play mostly video slots. And if I have a big win, I usually put it up on YouTube. So the YouTube experience of viewing slots is drastically different. From the real experience of playing slots, when you go to the casino and play slots you 're going to lose you 're going to win when you go onto YouTube, mostly all the videos you see are of people winning because those are the, the those are the views those are the the videos that people want to actually see. so I started putting my my videos up on YouTube basically just to have fun like i wasn 't saying I wanted to have a YouTube channel, I just wanted to start putting my videos up on YouTube. Because I thought they were fun. And I thought other people would enjoy my wins. Other slot-minded people like myself, I really enjoy playing slot machines. They're very, very fun. And um, I think about a year and a half into it, I've told this story before. But uh, first of all, if you're asking how I decided to start doing that, there was a gal who... Uh, is a previous YouTuber who put her $10,000 win on a Wizard of Oz machine up on YouTube. And I thought that that was really, really cool. And it it was so fun to actually experience the experience that she had with her. Like You got to hear her realizing that she's about to be the recipient of about $10,000 after just betting a couple bucks. You know what I mean? It was a really, really fun experience. And so that's how I started uh, realizing that I should put my videos up on YouTube. But about a year and a half into the experience, I was logging into a different part of YouTube. And I had previously monetized my YouTube videos to get the thumbnail as a custom thumbnail. YouTube back in the day would not allow you to have a custom thumbnail. Basically, the picture that you see on the video uh, was predetermined by YouTube. The only way you can make it something where you loaded up your own thumbnail was to monetize your videos. So I monetized my videos, but I really didn't think anything of it. It was more of a means to an end for me. And about 6 months after that, I had logged into my AdSense account. And I don't remember why I was there. But I was trying to activate some other feature on YouTube. And I saw that I had over $600, I want to say. In money that was sort of sitting there waiting for me to input my financial information. And I didn't really buy it at first. I was like, this, this can't be right. Maybe this was an, maybe this is an estimate of what I could earn." or, you know, may, maybe this is a trick, but I was on the Google site. It wasn't like I was on some other site. And I was pretty certain that they were being honest with me, and it said, you know, you have six hundred and forty some odd dollars waiting to be downloaded to your account. You just need to put in your PayPal or your bank information, and I put it in, and a couple of days later, six hundred and forty dollars appears in my bank account, and I was like, yeah. oh my god, <laughs> that was really cool. Basically, I had been earning almost a hundred dollars a month uh, on YouTube, and I was like, you know, when I monetized my videos, I really thought that you know you needed you know millions and millions of views to make any sort of money whatsoever but that's not true uh you know i think that even somebody who uh you know gets 10,000 views on a video can earn close to 40 or 50 bucks for those views and uh i generally do that pretty easily because i've been on youtube for a while and most of my videos are fun videos and i think people generally enjoy them so uh i uh, i I've, I've i've sort of molded my YouTube video. It was a fluke. But I've molded my YouTube video channel into a a bit of a money making experience. It's basically a break even venture at this point, because the money that I use to make the videos via the slot machines at the casino, all of that money is eventually supplemented by the the money that I make back from YouTube. I have some friends of mine who uh, they do YouTube videos every day through slots and they make you know anywhere between ten and fifteen thousand dollars a month, so uh you know it can be a profitable venture, but you really have to work at it far more than I want to work at it. I really only want to upload one to two videos a week and in order to be a profitable youtuber, at least in this genre, you really have to be uploading videos every day, but if I uploaded videos every day, i'd quickly run out of content so uh you know, it was sort of a fluke experience, but uh, I'll take it. It was basically it's free money because I was uploading these videos anyway. And the fact that YouTube and Google decided to pay me for them is sort of a bonus. You know what I mean, Taren? Yeah, for sure. So I just think I know people are going to ask this. I'll, I'll tell people what I make on um, on YouTube. Um, so I like I said, I, uh, I generally have about uh, 10,000 views a day, maybe a little bit more, maybe 15,000 views a day. And I have 20,000 subscribers. And I make about uh, anywhere between fifty to hundred bucks a day uh, on YouTube. So if you know, if you want to round that and say, uh, you know, I make uh, what you know, eighty bucks or something like that a day. Uh, I make anywhere between fifteen hundred to uh, twenty five hundred a day. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred a month, and uh, it, it can it can vary greatly depending on how many views your videos are taking in and what the uh, CPM, which is the ad rate for those videos, are sometimes the ad rate can be as low as like five bucks uh, per a thousand video views, and other times it can be as high as 10 or 12 or 14. So, obviously, that's going to have a big effect on what you're earning on YouTube. But, uh, you know, like I said, I put up my videos because I wanted people to see my wins, and the fact that I ended up getting paid for that is such a bonus. And it took me a little while to wrap my head around the fact that I needed to take a little bit more professional ownership of my channel more than I was at the time. And I feel like that I have started to do that a little bit more, but it's still a work in progress. Yeah, well,
0: it, it's very cool. Like, uh, I feel like um, it's it's something that a lot of people would love to be able to do is just like uh, film their their hobby that they love doing and then uh, have people be interested and then uh, you know it get was, money. like from I it. said it,
1: it was such a fluke too like I was it was exactly I was just filming my hobby like I just like to go to the casino and play slots and I started filming um, some of my bonuses and some of my wins and a couple of them really took off and if you can get like a semi a semi-viral video I had a video where I was betting $2 and I ended up winning almost $3,300. And it wasn't one of those experiences where I instantly knew I had won 3300 Basically, I end up realizing I'm going to win 3300 over a time period of about 20 to 30 seconds. And so as that's happening, you can hear my voice grow and grow and grow until eventually, it's almost like I'm having sex because I'm going, Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great experience it ended up becoming my most popular video ever it recently passed one million views which i am absolutely astounded about but uh, i'm very proud of that video and uh that's one of the reasons why my channel grew to be what it was cool all right well uh i think that's all
0: we've got we're just about uh, at two hours here um so uh as always brent uh lots to talk about
1: Lots to talk about. I'm a talker. Sometimes, you know, Taryn doesn't need to prompt me for things because usually if I'm telling a story, like in my head, I'm thinking about different things that are happening in my life at that point. And I'll like, I'll pull different things and quickly like go off on some tangent to another part of the story. I've listened to you when you were with occasionally a couple people who basically you would ask them a question and their answer would be, you know, a couple sentences and they would stop. And I was like, oh, I can never be like that.
0: yes uh you make it easy uh, i just uh, i need to just point you in the right direction and then yep. uh yeah off, i'm like the roadrunner
1: just like uh, point me point me in the right direction and <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, uh, thank you for coming on again. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you guys, uh, are looking forward to, uh, another, another part of Brent eventually. Uh, and of course, the, uh, Big Brother celebrity that's coming up soon, where you'll hear plenty from Brent, uh, again. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for checking this out. Uh, Brent, is there anything else that you want to, uh, plug before we head out?
1: nothing really uh, I want to say uh, I'm sure this is going to air after but I hope everyone has a great new year and a lot of fun experiences for the year upcoming it's going to be very very fun with uh, Survivor Ghost Island and obviously uh, Big Brother Canada 6 coming back uh, obviously Celebrity Big Brother and Big Brother 20 also, obviously RuPaul's Drag Race has two seasons approaching the All-Stars version is going to air first and me and Liana Boris and Mike Bloom are going to cover that and also uh, RuPaul's Drag Race C- Season 10, if you can believe that, is coming up later in 2018. And I'm very excited about that because Eureka is coming back. She was a contestant on season nine. She had to leave because of injury. But Ruth said, you know what? You can come back anytime you want in, an, in a future season. And she took her up on that offer. So I want to see how she does. There you go. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast
0: on iTunes, The Terran Show. You can find it on RobHasAWebsite.com. You can find me on Twitter at Terran Brent is at One Lucky OneLuckyGay. Uh, let us know all, all of your thoughts uh, about relationships, what you've learned uh, from this conversation. Right.
1: I want to say something really quickly, too. That my experiences are my experiences alone. Just because hmm. I'm having them doesn't mean that they're even widely uh, attributable to other people. The thing you have to consider is that my roles in my life are very stringent. I think it really emanates from the fact that I am a recovering addict, and I I, I view, really view things in black and white. There's really not a there's not a lot of bleed over, and thus it also manifests itself. In a relationship with me because I don't I've never been in a relationship where to be to use a little bit of like colloquial language, it's a flippy-flop relationship. I've never been in a relationship where sometimes I fuck him and he fucks me. Like I that's not something I have ever, ever encountered. The only relationships I've ever been in are relationships where the roles are set. And that's what I personally am comfortable with. That's what I sexually respond to. I know couples that are in relationships. In fact, the vast majority of gay couples are probably in relationships where they flip and flop and they they take on different sexual positions in the relationship based on the day and how they're feeling. But that's not me. But that doesn't mean that I represent the majority of most gay couples or even the majority of most gay men. It's just a Brent specific thing. I'm sure that we'll find out on Twitter to see how many people take my side of it and how many people are more uh, versatile, as we say. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, well, uh, feel free to, to let us know what your experiences are, uh, and, and what you thought, uh, of all this. I hope that, uh, that some, that some people were able to, uh, to learn a little more and have a little more appreciation for, um, you know, just like, uh, different, different ideas of what relationships can be. Cause I feel like sometimes we get a little caught up in like, this is what it's supposed to be and you can't deviate from that, but really it's whatever you want it to be, like whatever you and your partner decide, right? Like that's you have full control yes. over whatever you want your relationship we
1: have full today. control yes i decided in my relationship with jay you know what i sense there's some chemistry i'm gonna tell him right now I'm, because i don't want to hurt his feelings i'm gonna tell him right now so i don't have to deal with it later on i'm gonna tell him you know what this is who i am this is what i like this is what i want please don't be misled and because of that i feel like our relationship has blossomed but if i had not decided to do that early on it might have turned out drastically different so i'm glad that i did that
0: Yes. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for joining us. I will see you next time.
1: Darren's asking questions. Darren's finding out.
0: Darren's looking deeper. That's what it's all about. It's the